Welcome to this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It's always great to have you with us, along with Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up, we're going to talk about Chris actual basketball games it is here the season's underway it's been fun to watch a whole bunch of hoops over these first couple weeks it is it's fun and it's also when you put out a preview book it's you find yourself kind of pulling for your predictions to come true (laughs) and they don't always come true like wow uh, michigan state i don't think anybody would have thought would jump out one and two Uh, i can see losing to duke the james madison lost at home uh, was perplexing, to say the least. Uh, according to ESPN stats and information, Michigan State is the first AP top five team to lose its season opener at home against an unranked opponent since Kentucky lost at home to Western, your alma mater, Kentucky, in 2001. I was at that game. So, the, oh, really? Yes. Yeah, this thing doesn't happen a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I still think – Michigan State is a Final Four team, but th- there was a little bit of doubt cast when Tennessee went up there and won in an exhibition game. And then James Madison must have looked at that film. Uh, what's ironic is that I think uh, the game was booked because Izzo's nephew coaches on on yeah. the JMU staff, and that's going to be awkward at the Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, quick side note about that Western Kentucky-Kentucky game going all the way back to 2001. Kentucky is going to replace their court here in the coming weeks. So they have the new floor, and they, they tried it out and put it all together the other day. But the first game that was played on on the court that is going away was that game. that They had replaced wow. the original court at Rupp Arena with that one. And that was the very first game, and Western defeated Kentucky. Um, and that it was like a two-day tournament that was going on uh, way back then. And that was when Dennis Felton was coach at Western. And I remember seeing him in the hallway – uh, after that game was over with, and he had the biggest smile on his face after uh, scoring a, a signature win to start off the season. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that's fun to think about. I did not know that, that that was the last time that had happened. That, yeah. is, that is really interesting. Well, yeah, I love those little tidbits. Uh, the State Farm Champions Classic was in Chicago as we record this. It was last night on Tuesday night. Uh, let's start with the first game. You mentioned Michigan State. They played Duke. Uh, Blue Devils won 74-65. Not really great shooting for either team. It was slow going in the first half. You had some big buckets by Caleb Foster. He scored 18 points off the bench. He had fi- a foul trouble for Kyle Filipowski, but he still ended up with 15-8 and three assists on the night. The Spartans, man, they just have not shot it well from three-point land. Eight of 50 over their first three games. Uh, what stood out uh, about that matchup? Well, um, the fact that they weren't able to bounce back and Duke was. Duke, as everybody knows by now, lost at home to Arizona, which is one of those surprising in a good way teams. We had Arizona ranked in our top 25, but I don't know that we thought that they could be as good as they are, uh, especially with some transfers to having to play key roles. But, yeah, Duke was the bounce-back team in that game. That's what stood out to me. I looked it up. Um, Duke is 4-1 and one against Michigan State in the Champions Classic. So you might say the Blue Devils have their number. It's funny how many times those teams have played either Champions Classic or some sort of regular season matchup or in the NCAA tournament. Uh, if you have good enough teams, your, your paths are going to cross, uh, especially in no postseason question. play, and, and they have multiple times, including uh, on some of the biggest stages. 
As for the second one, uh, just another matchup of heavyweight programs. Number one, Kansas against Kentucky. Uh, Wildcats jumped in front by 14 in the second half. They were really playing well, and and it looked like they were going to score a gigantic win over the number one team. But then the Jayhawks got hot down the stretch, and they looked like a veteran team that has some guys that have played a lot of basketball. Kentucky went cold. Hunter Dickinson was as advertised. uh, Ended up with over 20 points and 21 rebounds. and it, It felt like he had positives for both teams. Some of Kentucky's freshmen look good. Some of them not as good. Rob Dillingham and Reed Shepard uh, combined for 31 points. Aduthi Arrow has made a big jump. He played some last year, but had 16 points and 13 boards. Antonio Reeves shot only three of 17 from three, ended up with 24. Kentucky made a dozen threes, and uh, I've seen a lot of people saying that this is a little more exciting team to watch than uh, some under John Calipari in recent years. And uh, You feel like the future is pretty bright for them this season, but in the end, Kansas looked like number one. They did what a number one team does and gets key stops down the stretch and makes shots and got to the finish line. They did, and, and as you said, Hunter Dickinson was just a monster. 27 points, 21 boards. That was the Hunter Dickinson that I had in mind when I picked him as our national newcomer of the year. I said this last show. I took a little crap for that. Speaking <laughs> of crap, uh, Bill Self had a great quote about Hunter Dickinson, who is a polarizing figure and, and enjoys it. He talks a little smack on the court. I'm correct that a lot of smack on the court engages with fans self had a great quote he said he catches some crap sometimes with good reason and many times not he catches some crap but one thing he does he doesn't run from it ever so i think guys like that give teams confidence but when you're getting 27 points and 21 boards it's a month's worth of work for some guys so uh, that was a night and in in kentucky's defense they were missing three footers albeit young guys untested guys uh, three seven footers, or, or as Holly Rowe accidentally said, seven three footers <laughs> <laughs> in her interview with the coaches before the game. But uh, yeah, if they'd had Aaron Bradshaw and if if Visick was was uh, eligible, uh, and then on on Yenso, the other kid, the sophomore, maybe they'd had enough fouls to, uh, in the post to to slow Hunter Dickinson down a little bit, but they didn't. They had eight scholarship players, and as you said, Antonio Reeves wasn't one of his better shooting nights. But, yeah, Kentucky is different. They're they're willing and, and, and able to shoot the three. And, uh, yeah, as we found, uh, it's one thing to take them. It's another to make them. And I, I think uh, Reeves wishes he had some of those shots back. Few other results from the last few days that have uh, turned some heads. Uh, more big games from last night. Marquette won at Illinois, seventy-one sixty-four. Even with uh, Tyler Kolick nursing a sore ankle, Texas A&M beat uh, SMU seventy-nine sixty-six. That's not always an easy place to play there in Dallas. Monday night results. Michigan turned some heads with their blowout of St. John's eighty-nine seventy-three. What did you make of that one? Yeah, I saw that. Uh, Phil Martelli is the head coach because Jawan Howard has been out after heart surgery and. Uh, I always thought Phil got a raw deal at, at St. Joe's. He was Mr. St. Joe's. And uh, I thought when Jawan Howard hired him as associate head coach, that was a great move. And he's coached that team to a 3-0 start, and I don't think a lot of people expected this at all. And on the, on the flip side, a lot of people had St. John's in their preseason top 25. I didn't bite on that. I, I looked at it, I thought about it, but I thought, you know what, even Patino, even for Patino, 
he's got 13 new guys. That's going to take a while to, to blend them together. And I, I'm sure that's the case. I, I'm sure they'll play better basketball. They're going to have to, though, because the Big East, I'll tell you what, all this conference shifting, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about it uh, in the show, but uh, the Big East survived conference shifting as well as, as anybody possibly could after losing members to the ACC. And, uh, wow, they're that's a rugged basketball league. And Marquette, as you mentioned, Chaka Smart's found a home again. I, I, You know, so many of his coaches who are friends of mine, assistant coaches, told me they thought Texas was the spot. And then it turned out not to be the spot because yeah. he had to recruit a certain kind of player. He's much more comfortable recruiting chip-on-the-shoulder guys and tough guys. And Tyler Kolek, as you said, had hurt his ankle. And I, I saw a little bit of that Illinois game. And if he was hurting, it sure didn't look like it. He's a crafty veteran point guard. I think he might be the best point guard in the country. As uh, for the AP poll this week, it's so highly fluid this time of year. Kansas, Purdue, Arizona went up to third after their win at Duke. Marquette and UConn make up the top five. Six through ten, Houston, Tennessee, Creighton, Duke, and FAU. And uh, maybe Duke moves up a few spots there. You've seen Tennessee in person. What did you uh, see from them? They, I know they went to Wisconsin the other night and got a pretty nice road win back on Friday. Yeah, that was a big win. I, I think the, the, the commodities that they saw – in the portal they were able to get and they have come through big time Dalton Connect uh, he's going to be a pro he was at Northern Colorado and I think just got a big chip on his shoulder started out at Juco I, I think maybe he's always felt like he's been overlooked and I talked to Greg Polinski one of Tennessee's assistants and he was in the NBA for 19 years and he says that guy's a, a pro if he'll just learn to guard consistently but he's got a pro body um, gosh, he, he scores in, at every level, and he's leading Tennessee in scoring. And then Justin Ganey, uh, son uh, Jordan Ganey, came over from USC Upstate. Did you see them play last I year? I did. Yeah, I, I did their uh, game at Vanderbilt on Friday night. I'd seen actually when I was reading the Blue Ribbon preview talking about uh, Ganey making that move. Yeah, he I, he shot fifty percent from three as a freshman. Last year, not quite that high because he was on the top of everybody's scouting report, and he also had to play a little point guard. He he is a, a flamethrower. And so, Connect and Ganey are their number one and two scorers. Santiago Vescovi, who's on the Wooden list and uh, the Jerry West uh, Award list and preseason All-American, he hasn't – I think he, he's, he got double figures last night, but he hasn't shot the ball well. Zakai Ziegler has not played, obviously, coming back from that knee injury. But they are winning games and scoring 80 or more points. And this is a new Tennessee team. They're still guarding, not as well as they did last year, but they're scoring a bunch of points. And I think if they can continue that as the the competition continues to get better, uh, that will be a formidable team. You mentioned point guards, and and I mentioned a minute ago uh, Colin Vanderbilt's games – a stumble against Presbyterian to start the year. Bounced back with a good second half against uh, USC Upstate. Won that one. Then Vanderbilt defeated UNC Greensboro, which is a really good team out of the SoCon. You talk about an older team with veteran guys that know how to play and win. Uh, I was pretty impressed with that group. But Vanderbilt was able to hold them off after leading by 18. But the point guard for Vanderbilt, Ezra Mignon, he's not got tons of national attention. 
But to me, I think he can hang with, with the best of them playing that position. He, he's really fast. He can drive to the basket. And, boy, he has knocked him down from the free throw line. Uh, he, he made all 12 of his attempts last night, and that was really big. And if your point guard can get to the foul stripe and make that many, it's going to really affect games, especially close games where you're going to make them down the stretch. Vanderbilt made 10 out of 10 in the final two minutes of the game. So uh, that's a name uh, maybe for people to remember. Ezra Magnone, transferred from UC Davis. He played for Vanderbilt last season as a senior, and then he's a, a graduate student this year. But uh, really, really impressed with him. He's had three outstanding games so far in this uh, opening stretch of the season. Yeah, I I liked him last year. I haven't been able to see him yet this year, but I, I think he's a crafty guy. And as you said, I mean, there are some coaches who have to take their point guards out at clutch time, and you don't want that. Obviously, you want your primary ball handler out there, but they can't trust him at the free throw line. Mignon is automatic. And I think he's a great penetrator and disher. Uh, that's It's not a lost art, but – not a lot of people do it super well uh, in terms of being able to go in there, not not draw a charge or not not charge and find an open guy. And I think he's a real crafty playmaker. He's one of those guys, too. Uh, he's only probably a little over six feet tall, but he can get a shot away when he gets inside. And to me, that's a real skill, uh, especially that size, to be able to get in there among the bigger players in the paint where it's all congested and get your shot away. And he's also worked hard on his three-point shooting and, and has shot it well from three so far, too. So uh, Vanderbilt plays one more at home this week against Central Arkansas, and then we're going to go play in a tournament out in Las Vegas next week against some good competition, including NC State to on Thanksgiving. So a bit fun just to get the season started and call some games again and uh, be inside Memorial Gym. It was a little toasty in there last week uh, for the opener. Uh, if it's warm outside, it's going to be really warm yeah. inside the gym because that place doesn't have air conditioning. It's, you know, it's an older building. It's been Crazy. for a long time. And uh, it was steamy for that opening game. And you kind of root for a cooler days so the, the weather inside will be a little bit better. But, yeah, again, it's been really fun to call games again with my buddy Tim Thompson and uh, uh, looking forward to the season ahead. On the topic of NCAA tournament expansion, the NCAA vice president of men's basketball, Dan Gavitt, says they have to be forward-looking. Uh, those are his words. Considering every perspective and angle as conference realignment has impact. Also says the expansion of the tournament is not necessarily inevitable, which I read that it sounds sort of like it is. I know you and I neither one are in favor of that, but the uh, men's basketball committee is considering recommendations from the Division One Transformation Committee that could expand the tournament up to 90 teams, a topic that I know you and I have not been uh, very much on board with. It would kind of be interesting to see where this goes and, and hear those comments from Dan Gavin. Yeah, I, I think the fact that when you've got these power leagues – you know, the Big Ten now with UCLA and USC and the Big 12 with all they've done, raiding the Pac-12 and expanding their numbers. And SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma next year. There's going to be a lot of good teams in those leagues that all think they deserve spots. And if, if they get in, uh, who is that at the exclusion of? So I think they're trying to think ahead. They, they know that the upsets are one of the uh, key focal points of of uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's it's like finally on, on a somewhat uh, even keel, a mid-major team gets to do battle with an, a power conference team and a lot of times shock the world. So uh, they can't lose that element, but at the same time, they're going to have to take care of these conferences. So 
I think they believe that the next step is 90, but I don't know. I remember Billy Packer, who was a friend, uh, passed away uh, within the last year. He used to say, let them all in. And I never liked that at all. I, he was dead serious about that. He, he said, let them all in. And I, I never liked that. I think you have to play for something. And I'm not sure. You, you talk to Joe Lenardi, friend of the show, and a guy I've worked with uh, on Blue Ribbon. Uh, he says that when he picks his bracketology, those last four or five teams, it's a struggle to see who deserves to get there. And I wonder if, if you start talking about adding 22 more, are there that many deserving teams? Right. I hate to mess with perfection, and it's as perfect a sporting event as, as I think there is. I'm a little biased, but that's my take. I'm totally with you on that. I feel like 68 is, is just fine. Uh, they've added a few games in recent years with the first four expanding uh, a bit, but uh, I, I like it the way it is. It feels like it's a nice, neat three-week tournament and uh, you get to the championship game w- without having to drag it out for a couple months like in, in other sports. Uh, yeah. And, and I, NBA playoffs. Right, and NHL and, and even Major League Baseball, is a, uh, they, they've stretched theirs out a bit with another round or two. I generally have not been on board with expanding the NCAA tournament. Like you say, it, it feels like it's just right to add that number, but uh, it almost feels inevitable. Uh, the Pac-12 situation seems like such a mess, too. A judge has granted Oregon State and Washington State. The schools are getting left behind. The sole control of the Pac-12 board of directors, uh, they say when other schools announced that they were leaving, they gave up their seats on the conference board. And Chris, as most things are, it's all about the distribution of revenue. <laughs> You know, it's funny. Nobody complained when they, when the league was intact and USC and and UCLA jumped and they lost their spot on the board. Nobody complained about that. But when there's this on uh, mass uh, departure, uh, this exodus of teams uh, af- after you know Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, Colorado, Oregon, everybody, but Washington State and Oregon State. Then all of a sudden it was different. People are starting to complain about it. But a judge has given Oregon State and Washington State sole control of the board of directors. And I think that's only fair. They were left in the dust, <laughs> left for dead, if you will. And I, I think that too bad if, if these other schools that left lose a little revenue. Now, what Oregon State and Washington State does with sole control of the Pac-12, who knows? I. I've heard, and I think this was probably what will happen, they will have a reverse merger with the Mountain West and and invite them in. Mountain West goes away. Pac-12 becomes, you know, still a pretty good league. Mountain West is is a multi-bid league, and, you know, they can survive. But I'll tell you, only with, with better management than they had. Larry Scott destroyed the league and, you know, got greedy trying to start a network and turned down ESPN deal and uh, didn't do much to try to mollify USC and UCLA when clearly they were angry enough to leave. I just, my thoughts go to Bill Walton and that teepee lighting up a bowl and, and just cry. <laughs> no more crying in champions. Bowl. I just don't get it, man. <laughs> it's a great, it was a good league. This one shocks me more than any conference shifting that has happened starting way back when. How can a league like this disintegrate? It's it's crazy. 
It really is. And and if you told me a couple of years ago that, yeah, by 2023, there's not going to be any more Pac-12 or, or when it all goes down, I guess, next year. But yeah, uh, and I feel bad for Oregon State and Washington State. I've been to Oregon State. It's a nice place out there in Corvallis. Uh, I've not been to Washington State, but it looks cool on TV. And I've seen you know lots of football and basketball games on TV from there. But you, you do feel for them being the schools left behind because they're never going to have a chance to get into another league like what the Pac-12 has been. I mean, that, that's gone and not coming back for them. Uh, they, they can merge with the Mountain West and still have a good league, but it's not going to be the same as those teams playing against UCLA and USC and Oregon and Washington and all those teams that they played against for years. And uh, to me, that's sad. And, and just to look ahead and think about the travel that's going to be involved not just for the big sports, for for basketball and football and those things, but for for the other sports too, because you have to play everything. Um, how is it all going to work, and and what are the what's it going to be like for those student athletes and coaches that have to go cross country to play games in the middle of the week and all those things? I, I, that's for somebody else to figure out. But it just seems crazy that there's not going to be any more Pac-12, which has always been a good league, and um, I kind of look forward to staying up late and watching Pac-12 games, you know, whether it's basketball or football or, or whatever over the years. In the end, like I said before, uh, most things are about money and the uh, distribution of revenue, and that's what a whole lot of this part is about. I, I can't think of, of any comparison in any sport where, where, where an institution just flat goes away. So I was – Actually, when I saw that a judge had ruled in favor of OSU and, and Washington State, I, I was happy for them. And and I, I hope that, that they'll be able to live on through maybe with the Mountain West. But yeah, it's just – it's about the almighty dollar. I mean, regional pride and those kind of games, you know, that, that's gone now. And like you said, I wouldn't want to be the Rutgers tennis team that has to go to uh, USC to, to play uh, – Match surely they'll they'll have some they're going to have to have some sort of east west divisions yeah, or meeting uh, Kansas City or something and play <laughs> yeah but but even at that you won't have a a true champion unless you yeah. have a a round robin schedule so sure. yeah that's that's for people at a higher pay grade than us to figure out I guess but it's a shame and I will miss Dave Pash and Bill Walton I'll tell you I I live for those Thursday night games I didn't know what Bill Walton was talking about. Didn't care. I like his little travel log sections. I know that. Uh, Hearing about the I dead. I like the banter between he and Pash. Uh, oh, that was perfect priceless. Together. Absolutely. You know, it's it's the same thing with ESPN. I, I mean, ESPN has had to let people go. And, and it's all because maybe they, they over-acquired uh, rights to things. And you know, Pac-12, I, I mean, they, they had a chance to, to stay with ESPN. And, and I don't know. It's just... Very confusing to me. Yeah, it feels like it could have gotten figured out to where they got a new TV deal and the league would have mostly stayed together. Uh, Speaking of ESPN, we have wished Dick Vitale the best over the past couple years. He's battled cancer and other health issues. Uh, The good news is he said that his cancer is gone, but he's going to need more time to heal up his voice. Not quite ready to come back yet to ESPN and be on TV calling games again. He had hoped to return in late November. He's had radiation treatments and, again, the best to Dick Vitale, who's one of the great ambassadors of college basketball and so entertaining over a lot of years and has raised so much money for cancer research, but has uh, been on the receiving end of those prayers uh, here over the last few years. But hopefully a speedy recovery for Mr. Vitale, and we'll see him back on TV uh, pretty quickly here. And uh, Chris, you mentioned you've had some uh, correspondence with Dickie V over the uh, recent days here. 
He texted me. He said, uh, Chris, really spread the word about my raffle for the basketball bash. It's to raise money for helping kids battle cancer through the V Foundation. And I said, I will, good sir, but you keep up your battle too. So uh, I'm sure he sent that text to a lot of people on his list. But uh, we, we we text back and forth every now and again, and it's always good to hear from him. And he's an institution. I, I, I still say, I mean, uh, when, when he got into the Hall of Fame ahead of some luminaries uh, like Bill pa- Billy Packer, I felt like Vital deserved that because college basketball grew with the advent of ESPN and with the advent of Dick Vital. There's no question about it. And at 84, I can see, you know, he's he's earned the right. I saw, I saw where his grandkids just signed a scholarship the other day with somebody. Uh, and I remember when his daughter signed with Notre Dame to play tennis. And mm-hmm. it's like, God, those years have gone by so quickly. But I, I don't blame him for not wanting to leave. I, I mean, I don't feel like I'll ever really retire. If, as long as they're going to pay me to write about basketball, I'm, I'm going to keep taking that, I think. And uh, But he's got a zeal for the game. And, and yeah, I, I, it's his voice that, that, that people want to hear. And, and it's cruel that such a great – uh, warrior against cancer uh, was stricken with it not once but twice and and especially on his vocal cords which is his bread and butter we'll finish our show with something fun here and we're talking about people who have been around for a while how about seth towns he is playing his eighth season of college basketball after gaining eligibility at howard he's 26 years old and to be fair he's missed a lot of time with injuries he's missed four of the last five seasons with injuries uh started out his career at harvard where he was the ivy league player of the year then he would played some at ohio state in his hometown and maybe just like 25 games or something like that but eighth season of college basketball for seth towns and uh, man go get him have a great season no i hope he does uh, i mean he's about ready to apply for medicare but uh <laughs> no he's a smart kid i found this great quote from him he told the Columbus Dispatch, um, I think I have restructured my relationship with basketball. It is much healthier now. I'm not saying I put my entire identity in the basketball, but, man, it was hard because that's kind of the only professional aspiration I've had. Everything else was kind of subsidiary to that. Now I think I've released myself from the need to play at whatever level. So uh, spoken like a guy who was Ivy League Player of the Year and went to Harvard. I think he just for the love of the game and he was really cheated. I, I mean, he, he was player of the year in the league in, in 2017 and 18 in the Ivy league. And then he hurt his knee and he went to Ohio state. And I think they were really counting on him, but he was, he stayed hurt there and on a, on a team that number two seed in the NCAA tournament. And then, you know, he's just stayed hurt and he had this year of eligibility left and, I think it's great that he he goes to Howard, which is a highly respected uh, university for its academics. Uh, And I I think he wants to finish out, and and I I hope that he has good health and, and enjoys his season. I don't guess you or I will be restructuring our relationship with basketball anytime soon, will we? No, no, I, I mine's we're we're pretty much in it for the long haul, me and me and hoops. But uh, I'm I'll tell you what, buddy, I'm looking forward uh, to. The upcoming feast week and Thanksgiving. I hope everybody uh, listening has a great holiday season. But the Charleston and Maui uh, tournaments uh, 
Maui, have you looked at that bracket? Oh, it's amazing. That, that is, it is insane. I mean, you start out, you got Tennessee and Syracuse uh, and Purdue and Gonzaga in the upper bracket, and then Kansas, uh, which got drew the, the, the straw and got Chaminade. So there's an easy one. But then UCLA and Marquette. So you're talking about several teams that are right around the – are in the top ten. And I look forward to that. And uh, I've had chances to go to the Charleston Classic over the years and never did. I, I wish I would have. I, I love Charleston. I may yet get there, but, you know, that's a good tournament too. Houston's in it. Wake Forest, St. John's, uh, Dayton is in it. So uh, Utah, I, I can't wait. I'll, I'll be glued to the tube. I, I, I went to see two games in person in the first week, but for the next couple, I'm – I'm going to be indoors uh, with multiple screens. There you go. That That's a great way to uh, watch basketball. I'm going to be on the road next week. I'll be in uh, Las Vegas for Vanderbilt's uh, tournament out there. So uh, looking forward to that and uh, just seeing a lot of games and seeing some good players and enjoying some food. All right. As we wrap this up, Thanksgiving is coming up. What is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I hate to cop out and say uh, – a nice uh, piece of turkey breast piping hot but uh, i would say dressing different people make it differently my dad's was so dry it would cut your throat and <laughs> my wife makes it a little differently some people put oysters in it dressing for me that just spells it out and if i could have a 1b i'd have to go with pumpkin pie <laughs> dressing my, for me my wife crushes it on the pumpkin pie yeah see i'm not a big pumpkin pie guy but dressing for me it gets all 62 first place votes uh it's one of my favorite <laughs> things ever my, my grandmother made the most wonderful cornbread dressing you, you'll ever taste oh, and boy. i will tell you my wife amy her cornbread dressing is right there it's fantastic so uh I, did she I, put anything different in it no like not well like you know use a little a little more chicken broth and that sort of thing to to make sure the as you're talking about being dry like it, it's it, it's perfect right. like it's it's the right moisture and all those things and she makes her own cornbread and, and crumbles it up and uses a little bit of bread and, and all the different spices and things and, oh man it's it's fantastic uh, I'm, and then, I'm getting hungry already yeah and then I've, uh, I've had it with oysters in it, it yeah, that's pretty good yeah i've never tried it that way and uh it's uh, nothing that you would think of. Yeah. But, uh, and then I, I usually cook the turkey, and, you know, we don't have tons of people to feed, so we don't get a gigantic turkey. We get more of a turkey breast and cook it in this uh, crock pot type cooker. And wow. used to, when my, you know, when my grandparents were around, I could start the turkey cooking and we'd leave and go to Kentucky to my grandparents' house and eat lunch. And then by the time we got back, the turkey was just like falling apart, perfect, ready to eat. So uh, we'll, wow. pro- we'll probably do that in the coming days before we uh, head out west. But I-, I love Thanksgiving. It is my it's probably my favorite holiday of the whole year. But but definitely looking forward to some of that delicious cornbread dressing that it feels like we should make it more than just Thanksgiving. But I look forward to it every year. So that, that's my favorite thing, too. No, no, I agree with you there. And uh, safe travels. Have a great holiday, buddy. You too, Chris. It's always great to do this show with you. He is Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next time.